Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Perfect. All right, everybody. Welcome back to an episode of Secrets from the Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Daou. And we have Adam Ruppel, who is the Chico Racing. And I'm sure if you're a mountain biker, you've heard of 24 Hours of Adrenaline, summer solstice chico racing all the same person and i am just excited to have him on the podcast today welcome adam to the podcast thanks very much Sylvie. and i'll just correct you on one okay yeah uh, that i'm not adrenaline 24 hours of adrenaline oh, someone else but it's okay because uh we, they're not around anymore um not that that's there's good or A bad, bad thing that, but uh we're, we've, uh, we're the longest running 24 hour, um, mountain bike event, uh, in Canada now and, uh, the largest one in North America. Wow. So 24 hours, summer solstice, right? Right. We used to have two actually 24 hours and they get mixed up all the time with adrenaline. So don't worry about it. But, uh, the other one was we ran for eight years. We ran the 24 hours at Albion hot August nights. So oh, yes. Yes. That was around. another one. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, so yeah. we did that at Albion Hills as well because we had so much demand for our first one that we just we were bursting at the seams. And this right. was back kind of in the um um we're talking around I think we started that one in 2004. Mountain biking was like maybe that's when I was there. Right, maybe. Maybe you were there. So you you Albion came Albion Hills. The, yeah. And you may you may have done the hardwood one which was a different organizer that was uh 24 hours adrenaline. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. It was one of the two. And okay. it was like a team of, we're a team of five girls. And uh, we came in second or third. We were on podium. We were at the first. We were second or third. Nice. And that was just, and, and you know what, Adam, like back in the day, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was summer solstice of Al, at Albion Hills. But yeah. uh, we had, you know, like the lighting system was not like what it is now. No, like, oh were. my God, you have to like pay you could, he had to rent or yep. he had to like spend $500. And I had this super little Tika light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I did my night, my night course, uh, it would night burn night. out if you oh, were too it did. slow. To- totally. Yeah, the last like 15 <laughs> totally. minutes you're riding in the dark. Oh no. I just waiting for somebody to come along. <laughs> so you would follow them. Oh yeah. So the $500 <laughs> lights from back in the day are, are kind of like a $50 light today. Yeah. $50 light. So the light systems have improved massively. Oh, just like everything, yeah. right? I just remember back then, I'm like, oh, wow. And, the <laughs> and I see what's not, what I've got now. They were yeah. huge too. The batteries, you're basically like. They're the size of your water bottle. I have to put yeah, it in your, your Exactly. Cage. They had water bottle ones and, uh, and you would have to run, if you wanted really big lights, you'd have to run like double lights on the bars and another one on your helmet. And you could spend like. <laughs> 
two grand on on the uh, lights. And uh, back in the day, we had Night Rider coming from the oh, US to help yeah. help support um, the lighting systems. It, it's gotten a lot more, uh, uh, way more simple now. With yeah, uh, I bet you don't have to rent them from you anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, we did do a few rentals last year, but they weren't so popular. So I, I think people are able to buy them. There's just so many um, less expensive. It's it's less expensive just to go out and buy a light now. I know, and you could just charge it on your like a uh, battery charger or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All and right, they so... last like four hours. So you know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we digress. <laughs> like, but, but if you've been around long enough, like we have, you you yeah. longer than me, you know exactly what we're talking about. Because you're probably like, how do I do night night courses and night twenty four hour races right. with the the kind of uh equipment we had back then but people were super creative i have to say <laughs> yeah and, and actually you know my mountain bike started i i bought my first mountain or my dad bought my mountain my first mountain bike when i was 12 years old and i raced mountain bikes when i was 12 in 1984 and one of my first races was actually at Albion Hills Conservation Area. And I remember my mom driving me there because I didn't even have a driver's license. And I think I finished fourth or something in the race. But that's how I sort of got involved in mountain biking. I was racing mountain bikes. Um, probably I'm the, old, the oldest guy around that's still into mountain biking that started racing <laughs> back in the like- I don't think in so. In 1984. <laughs> Well, 1984, there weren't many people racing mountain bikes. It was like, um, mm. it was a very, very small scene and yeah. um, it sort of evolved and I raced road bikes as well. And I got onto the national team and I raced 1990. I raced the first ever world mountain bike championships in Durango, Colorado. So I came oh, cool. in from a racer background first. Yeah. Um, and I raced the Canada Cup Series. I raced World Cups. Um as an elite rider. And I've kind of finished my racing career around 1995, 1996. I still raced a little bit, but I was pretty much done my racing career. And right before I was done my racing career, I started organizing some mountain bike races, just some typical oh. cross country races and building trails. And then I had a weekly series. And some of the first people that came to the weekly series were, um, Actually, Emily Batty was one of the first ones. She was like 11 years old and she started racing my weekly series. Uh, Derek Zanstra, who made it to the national team. And I started organizing provincial um, mountain bike races as well. Um, so the Ontario Championships from Chico Racing, Enduro mm -hmm. events, that sort of thing. But really, um, it was basically seeing uh, Stuart Dorland from 24 Hours Adrenaline and he created that. 24 hour hardwood hills and i saw how popular right. that was and so i um i i went out and as a promoter i thought you know what maybe i can uh, do my own version of this in june and so that's when i started the 24 hours of summer solstice he wasn't super happy that i started it <laughs> and it, it was actually kind of a rivalry um that we had for years but i was always focused on the rider and the experience and building the community and everything else. So we started that at um, Ganaraska Forest and we quickly outgrew that facility and we went to um, Albion Hills in the year 2000. So 
we're celebrating okay. this year our 25th anniversary for Whoa. Yeah, our mountain bike event. Wow. So it would be Are the 26th if special? we didn't shut down. Oh, uh, yes. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we do something special every year, but this year we're, um, you know, just doing it up even a little bit bigger. Um, but every year is kind of a special year for doing, you know, we, we always like putting out new things um, with our 24 hour event, but uh, we're, yeah, and we built the trails originally at Albion Hills Conservation Area, specifically with the 24-hour mountain bike event in mind. So the nice thing is that we've actually been able to, like where we've been producing mountain bike events over the years, we often go in and we improve the trails or we build the trail systems um, that we race on. So that that's a little bit, that made us a little bit more unique from a lot of other organizers mm -hmm. back in the day that we actually had a trail building was part of our like off season. Like we would create the venue and create the trails and then build the events around that. Nice. So I always love it. Cause I, my first question is always how you got into cycling, but when you were mountain bike racing, where did Chico racing come from? Is that yours or did you take it over or? No, no, actually. So it was uh, funny enough. I was the guys I was racing with in about 19, I was racing elite in 1994. And we had some guys that had trained with in Uxbridge. And for some reason, Chico became my nickname. And then. Oh, shush, really? And then, yeah, <laughs> it was like, uh, and I think it happened something like if Chico worked very, very hard, I'm going to make, I'm going to oh. make the team. It was something from like a Saturday Night Live skit or something. And so I started calling myself Chico or something like that. And then it it evolved into where I just, uh, with the first event, I'm like, oh, well, my nickname's Chico. So let's call it Chico Racing. So everybody always called me Chico. And uh, <laughs> that actually became my name for probably 20 years. Like people would see me and they would call me Chico. Nobody even knew me as Adam. It's kind of, I'll tell you that it's kind of lost a little bit more because I, I produce other events and I call myself Adam. I don't call my, you know, I call myself. Well, you can't do Chico everywhere, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> and I didn't legally change my name to Chico. So that, <laughs> you know, it, but for it, it was like, it's one of those names. There's still people that call me Chico and I go by both, but um, you can call me Adam or you can call me Chico. It doesn't matter. All right. You hear that? Everybody ever next time you see Adam just call him Chico. Yeah. He turns around. If, if it's Chico, <laughs> I know you're, you're old school. Oh, right. You're around the days when I was running like lots of mountain bike events. And okay. So like 12 or 14 in a year. Wow. Like all yeah. in the same place. No, no, no. All over Ontario. So I ran the Ontario cup series. I ran two 24 hour races. I ran Enduros. Um, I ran uh, gravel events back when they weren't even popular. Uh, and I, I started, um, Ontario's first mountain bike stage race called crank the shield. So, Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was pretty popular. Um, and it actually, that's still brother, around. Well, funny enough, my brother has taken over a lot of those, those events. Oh, so yeah. Crank the shield. He now does up in Sault Ste. Marie. We used to do it in Halliburton. Um, okay. Now I'm, I'm actually, you know, down to, I used to run the Epic eight hour at Mansfield mountain bike race as well. Um, but I, I passed that on to my brother. So he's now coordinating that. So between my brother and I, we, 
I help him with some of his mountain bike events. And then I produce my 24 hour event, which is my big one. But mm-hmm. I also do now, I, I, I kind of had a, a side for eight years. I ran an obstacle running series across Canada called Mud Hero. You might've heard of that. No. Oh, it was big. It was much bigger than the mountain bike events. Like we had some events up to 19. Oh, but is this, is this like that? Okay. So this is like, like tough uh, mutter or, or like, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I went into that craze and I used my uh, mountain bike promotion skills and came up with a co-founder. We started that in that company. We had six employees and we ran, um, obstacle runs right across Canada from Alberta all the way to Nova Scotia. So, um, and we ran six of them, six to seven every year. Did you do any in this area? Cause. And uh, we did not. Oh yeah, we did Ottawa. We did. Um, was it at Edelweiss? No, Edelweiss was, would have been the Spartan race. Oh, Just, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they were a competitor of ours. Well, a competitor. I mean, that, that they ran a different series we tried not to run events on the same date it was it exploded <laughs> huge. so like yeah. the one in ottawa i think we had eight thousand runners for nine thousand. yeah it was wow big. yeah big is, di- is it different distant distances like yeah, we, we had a um a kids version yeah then we had a 6k then we had a 10k uh Holy. funny enough i sold the my share of the series my final share in 20 18 and someone else and that person then sold it to some to the old spartan race franchise group and so they're now running the mud hero series so i oh, don't have anything to funny. do with it anymore so if you you know if you have any complaints out there about mud hero <laughs> the current one not me All right so they got the monopoly now <laughs> sorry so they have the monopoly now i don't know i mean it, it kind of uh, was one of those things that hit really hot for a number yeah. of years i think it's still moderately popular but it's um the numbers were crazy like uh we had one event in alberta with nineteen thousand runners over holy the holy shit really yeah, yeah nineteen thousand runners um yeah so we we were running we had two transport trucks full of gear we had uh 10 guys on the road for four months setting up the the stuff we had six employees so it was actually like a it was a really cool business um i learned a lot a lot of fun but it was also one of those things that um unlike the mountain bike events which have been fairly stable and not crazy yeah. like the 24 hour sells out every year um it it was fairly expensive to produce but also could bring in lots of revenue so obviously lots yeah. of ups and downs on um you know, some years I thought I was wealthy. And then the next year I thought I was poor. <laughs> you know, ah, you're like, like a, you're like a farmer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> good years, bad years. Good yeah, years. Yeah, that's what being that's... an event promoter is like. If you don't have those events that are um, sustainable, like the, that are like consistent. Right. I was like, save your money. This... Yeah. Don't spend it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and my... <laughs> I, I was like, I would call myself half good about that. I uh, do go crazy, but I did buy a few things that I don't have anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you paid off your house in the process. I did. Ah, see, that's all. <laughs> yep. 
that, that, that was you... that was where I was smart. Yeah, I didn't go ahead and buy a big house. Get the house paid off, and then you don't have to worry about the mortgage yeah. and all that, and then get the toys and. Yeah, and so you just you know that that's the ups and downs of being an mm. event promoter. And COVID was a disaster. As oh, a, I, I was going to ask oh, you about gosh. that. I also had invested heavily in this new startup automotive event. So I'm also like an auto guy. I used to yeah, race- I noticed that. I was like, just a second, oh. who am I interviewing? Because you sent me an email with with your automotive website yeah. on it. I was drive like, festival. Yeah, drive festival. I'm like, just a second. <laughs> well, uh, you, you, if you want to be an event promoter, just mm-hmm. in the mountain bike space, I don't think it's really sustainable anymore. There was a time when, um, in the two thousands, like for 15 years, it was sustainable for myself and my yeah. brother. And sometimes I had one other employee to make mm-hmm. a living doing it, but I think those days have. Yeah. Really different. It's. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of competitors. Like I was, uh, I was just thinking, well, the the event organizers that I've talked to have multiple events, just like you underneath their belt that they're managing and doing throughout the summer. Right. And then the winter is kind of like off, uh, organizing, prepping for the next year and things like that. Yeah, I prefer to produce now as I've gotten a little bit older. I produce like two or three big events through a season rather than yeah. to do 10 or 12 um, mm-hmm. because you end up like burning you out. Do, you can do lots of events for um, a few hundred participants, but where the sweet spot, like if you can do an event with a few thousand participants or you do events for thousands of people, then you can actually spend some money on marketing and you can actually... Mm-hmm do some things but when you're running events for let's say less than 500 or even less than a thousand participants the 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 financials of running them become you just have to be a nickel and dime um, right and you got to really like watch your pennies and to to be able to make anything out of the event and i'm just less interested in those though these days because i mm-hmm. did go through that those years where i was running a lot of those nickel and dime events and then i'd have one or two like great events that that produce most of the money for the season and that was fine to offset it um but over the years i've just like passed most of the small the smaller events on to my brother (laughs) 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 he's still a glutton for punishment (laughs) well i i think he's probably yeah that's okay but you're still gonna help me with them (laughs) Yeah, I, I still end up. Actually, I'm going tomorrow to, and he told me what I'm doing. I'm parking cars. You're really good at parking cars, Adam. Like, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I am good at parking cars. So, I used to... oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I used to park a lot. The worst part about running Mud Heroes, I was actually one of the co-founders, and in many ways, one of the people in charge of the business. But I always found myself, even if I was running an event for 20,000 people and I had, you know, 15 employees and I had 100 subcontractors in the weekend, where I'd wow. end up was in the parking, parking lot, helping, being like, no, we got to do this way. Because that was always <laughs> our, that would always become our um, Achilles it's, heel. Yeah, I was going to say, because. The um, parking cars I... and fields and you've got thousands and thousands of cars coming in. And you get a blockage. We we were able to shut down some towns 
um, at times. So we don't have that problem with our 24 hour mountain bike race though. So, uh, no. everybody comes, we have about an 80% return rate. Um, there's a lot, people come over a, an extended period of time. Some come yeah. on the Friday, some come Saturday morning. They all know their campsites. They come in and the park's very, um, spread out over an area. So we, yeah, uh, that's what I liked about it. We are camped yeah. right beside the course. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, those are some great campsites. You must. That's have why you somewhere. arrive on Friday morning. Yes. All, well, <laughs> and we assign the campsites except for solos, um, but yeah. we assign the campsites for people. Yeah, I know. I think we picked ours, and then uh, yeah, that's so. actually what the number one thing people are concerned about about the twenty-four hour is how they can get their camping. So it's mm. always based on how early you register. Is based oh, yeah. on when we give you first campsite rights. We, we only assign the campsites usually around March or April, um, but we take all the list of teams and we go through them in chronological order based on registration status. Right. And some of the people that have done the event for 15 years, we kind mm -hmm. of like always slide them in on the yeah. campsites. If you've done it long enough, you kind of get grandfathered in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they started with the tent. Now they got the trap, the trailer. Oh yeah, a lot of trailers. Or the van. Yep. Oh, van life. Yeah. Van life. Yeah. That's so fun. So it is. So like, so you only have a couple larger events because this is fun. Because I'm glad you're talking about money, because I've always like try and and you know like talk to some of the event organizers like because you know what I find out is that most of them, I think the majority of them, have a, a like a primary job. It seems like you've made this your life business. Like this is your job. Yes. Right now. Yeah. So how been my you... job for 25 years. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like how uh, uh, my you... entire life, really. Uh, years. <laughs> your ad um, entire adult life. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that's true. Talk, talk about, talk about, and I know you said like there's ups and downs and can you just dive a little bit more adam into the into the life of having uh the events as like your primary income like you know so you said okay it's based on like if you need to have this certain amount of numbers this type of event to actually make it a viable um uh income source like yeah. that you can that you can rely on. So can exactly. you just share more more about that? Because I'm personally interested. Okay. Well, yeah. I know I mean, I'm, I'm at the beginning, but I started the to give you an idea. I started the business, but I came out of college, and I was running the events. And because I hit it properly, one thing that I was good at early on was seeing where the market was going, and I was able to see the other events really study what the other events were doing and yeah. i knew them from an athlete standpoint but then i also knew them from a um a business standpoint actually i'll even take you further back i was always a little bit of an entrepreneur but what i looked at doing originally was opening a bicycle shop and i was like oh. man this thing is a bicycle shop because i had worked in retail and i looked at it and i'm like man this is this is intensive from a um 
financial standpoint, you need inventory, you need rent, you need all these sorts of things. Where being an event promoter, the positive part about that is I could start the business with no money. So uh -huh. my first event, you can pre-sell the events. My first event, I think I made three or four thousand dollars. Doesn't sound like very much in 1994, but it was I was making five to six dollars an hour working in a bicycle shop. <laughs> yeah, so no, this sounds when, like when I came through that, I was like, hmm, this is this is pretty good. And by the time I got out of college, I was running quite a few of the weekly series. I was running uh, probably four or five mountain bike events throughout the summer. And I actually had probably close to a hundred thousand in revenue. Um, wow. As a side gig, huh. um, uh, in college. So uh -huh. while I was in college and I maybe even a little North of a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, um, when Chico racing was at its peak, we were doing, and people would be like floored to think about this, but we were doing um, almost a million in sales annually between sponsorships, um, uh, entry yeah. fees. Okay. Sponsorships weren't a huge part of it, but we did have a few really good sponsors. Um, but we were doing that. I had two employees myself, and we could we could then create cool things like crank the shield you know and uh, mm -hmm. i could travel around checking out other events and learn other events and how how to build them the same sort of thing happened um with the 2008 with the recession we saw our revenue going down and yeah. i couldn't kind of get it back to the peak peak for chico racing was around 2007 2008 we had two 24 hours we had an eight hour we had a crank the shield we we're running the full ontario cup series we're doing somewhere around 10,000 participant visits per wow. year. So it was huge. And to give that a little bit of, um, a little bit of, uh, to preface that, I don't think yeah. that perspective on that. Um, I don't think the Ontario cycling, um, between all their events next year are going to, all the events that they sanction are going to be able to do 10,000 participant visits. I'm talking, track, road, cyclocross, mountain, and gravel. I don't think they're going to do what we were doing back in, mm. back in those days. It was a heyday for mountain biking, um, yeah. but the mountain biking sort of, it, it did, you, you could see that it was starting to um, fade on the competition level right. uh, a bit. And so that's when I started the obstacle running series and the obstacle running series. We weren't talking about, you know, doing millions in sales. So we took it from zero to a four point uh, over $4 million business. Um, and I was just running it out of my garage <laughs> office above my garage. So it was a, and I still, I see how you got uh, maybe purchased some toys uh, through that. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it, it was really good. Like, uh, and, and in comparison, the previous 15 years of running mountain bike events, I think I made about that much money in three years running, um, running the obstacle running series because right. it went at its peak. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a much larger business. Um, well, the audience is much larger because like right. anybody could do that of any exactly. age right you don't have to have an expensive mountain bike which the flip side is yeah. which i didn't really think of at the time it also uh 
it was also very, very difficult because you had to market to new, to a lot of people, um, new people every year because, so the marketing cost to getting new people into the events was huge. And as soon as people saw we were the largest obstacle running company in Canada, all the American competitors came up here. So everybody was trying to eat our lunch, right? Ah. So just so much competition into it. And it was such a um, an expensive events to run. We had to fly all our staff and transport trucks and rentals and big marketing costs. And we had an advertising agency. Is that like your obstacle course uh, yeah. equipment that you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, the setup on those events was like seven days with like <gasps> 10, wow. people, 10 people um, for seven days. And then we would run the event for two days. Then we would tear it down. So we we were just like, and I was on the I was on the front line with all those guys for a number of years. So it became very much like, um, how would I, I was a Wash, rinse, glorified, repeat. well, I was a glorified carny, like oh, setting oh. the focus. <laughs> and that's really how I, I, how I, you I felt like, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> most like a carny, you, you, you take the circus <laughs> and you move it around and you, you yeah. build it all up and you, you know, come, come Tear put it, it down. Together. And uh, move to the next spot. That's actually what event promoters are. If you're doing it at a larger level, you're, you're doing a, you're doing a whole setup and you're building a fair and then you're tearing it to the next town and, and building it. And that's, it was really exciting, uh, but it became (laughs) very tiring after a number of years. And I always had trench foot because I was always also in like, you're, you're in the mud you're just in mud constantly everything's always dirty and i guess you never thought of that either oh this is a great concept but you're like oh my god <laughs> yeah it was it was a ton of work a ton of fun um and uh yeah and the guys uh we'd always have like a big party every week after the event was done <laughs> like a huge blowout party <laughs> there are yeah. some stories from some of that stuff i can't go into on a podcast or i will oh, incriminate myself but we, had a, we, had a lot of, <laughs> we had a lot of fun running them and uh we had a great crew of guys i'm still friends with a lot of them um i had a really good co-founder as well and um learned a lot learned probably more um organizing that mud hero obstacle running series than i would have um maybe in running mountain bike events for 15 years because it was just so intensive and you had no choice but to um run the run the events i remember the oh you had to test your well obviously test your equipment see if it's oh i was one of the testers too so i would go down the first like mudslides and (laughs) and, um and you're like uh i think we need to shift this (laughs) oh yeah this is too fast this is too dangerous (laughs) Uh, and uh, when we were setting up new obstacles, I'd always be around the new obstacle, like watching it for the first 200 people. Okay, everybody's made it over. I, I think we're good. You're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we did a we did a good job, and we were very careful because we knew we had a lot of um, responsibility um, building those. These some of these obstacles were 20 some feet high that people yeah. were climbing over and stuff. So it was pretty fun. Yeah. I can't imagine. So now, um, now you've, you've scaled it back. So if you kind of like leveled it out where it, 
it complements your lifestyle like it's bringing in what you need or like um yeah the money that uh, you're looking yeah i would say i'm in a more of um i've learned a lot going through the the ups and downs and and peaks and valleys i'm a little more of um a uh, little more looking at having a lifestyle and enjoying the job but i'm still looking for a challenge as well so i think that by me building this drive festival actually in 2021 we launched drive festival this automotive event we had 20,000 attendees first year in the middle of covid i think that might have been really? one of the most challenging events i ever had to put together and to give you um perspective a month before that event i was 500,000 short of budget oh. dollars wow <laughs> and i was like i was freaking out but we made oh, it. yeah and um and uh, so we, we're going into our third year with that. And it's a fully dynamic automotive show. So I've got a dream car speed run and I've got multi-million dollar hyper cars and exotics racing up a hill and race cars and classic cars all weekend. I have an off-road test track. We're going to have a whole, um, um, we have an ATV test track as well. We have a performance test track. We've got an electric car test track. Um, full Where is this? Test track. At Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, so 900 acres. We've got car clubs, um, exhibits. I'm partnered with a trade consumer show company, so um, and the National Event Management. They run the outdoor um, outdoor show in Toronto, and they run them mm -hmm. across Canada. So I'm partnered with them, and we're building out basically an auto show, but fully dynamic and exciting. We even have like a launch pad for EVs where you can hop in, and they'll take you on. Uh, zero to 60 run we have an autocross course that's set up um uh we have kids area it's really fun we're aiming to oh it's super attendees this year so whereabouts 000. is this is this near um, actually it's just it's 40 minutes um just the other side so <laughs> albion hills is one hour uh to the west of me and Canadian Tire Motorsports Park is 40 minutes to the east of me. So, and, and I'm you're lo there. you're Off located Monday. where? In Oxbridge. So just Oxbridge. north of Toronto. Just yeah, north, actually. okay, north of Toronto. Actually, hey. super popular mountain bike area, Haley Smith, mountain biker. Oh, yeah, Haley. She, she lives like two kilometers from me. Emily Batty lives. I thought she me. moved to Bromont. I heard that Haley Smith. I think she did actually, but she grew She's up. closer to me now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place. I love it. So yeah, do you so, do contract work as well? So like consulting, uh, helping other people? Yeah, I have done some of that. I did some for the great trail. I've done some for a couple other things. I generally don't I don't love that as much to be no. frank with you. Um, mm -hmm. It's not, uh, I'm more of an entrepreneur. So I'm on committees as well for like the, for local like events in Uxbridge. Uh, so I help with that stuff, but I would say I'm not really like, I, I really, if I'm not controlling it, I kind of <laughs> want to be in the background. Because <laughs> I, 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 I get too frustrated with, committees and with that sort of structure i would say i'm an entrepreneur yeah yeah i know some of those committees are too much 
just like okay, yeah let's get it done i mean and and some people work really well in committees i'm just not cut out for it i, I don't think it's good or bad it's just i i i know where my my uh, wheelhouse <laughs> is and right well that is super exciting so just give us a little up um a little bit about what the summer looks like. I know we talked a lot about stuff and, and what you've got going on and uh, for our listeners. Yeah, so the 24 hours already 90% sold out. I saw um, that. Yeah, I'm working with, um, so some of the sponsors include like Cannondale, Sh Shimano has been around forever with us, Scratch, new sponsors, Louis Garneau um, and uh, Pirelli mountain bike tires we also have uh glen abbey physiotherapy they came on board to help be the supporting sponsor of the event smith optics um so, yeah. oh, here's so, a question for you adam sponsorship how do you know who to go for and do you speak pick specific sponsors like for your events because i'm kind of in a pro in a in a place for I'm looking for some sponsors but how do so, you how do you like I know you have long time people but moving forward is it all financial or is it service driven or a lot of it is actually so it's just finding value for them and value for yourself yeah um, and if you can't find both a win-win then you're not going to have them on long long term right. so for me there isn't a lot of money in the bike industry as you are well mm -hmm. aware especially now yeah. uh, so you have to be you have to be uh, creative uh, one of the things like I'll, I'll give you an example um, Shimano back in the day um, supported the 24 hours of adrenaline with free tech support for all the riders coming to the event and the guy running it I said he, he said to me the organizer wants a ridiculous amount of money to come to the event um, for us to go back to his event. Um, and I sat down with him and made a deal in five minutes and he moved from that other event to mine, but it added, it, he brought in a lot of extra added value for mm -hmm. my participants on that free tech support on building that experience and making it better. Sporting Life used to be one of our retail sponsors on the event, and we had a, like a great long-term relationship with them. Now we're with Cycle Life, so they help bring in a retail um, store on site. Um, Eric from Scratch Labs, a super. Oh, super Eric's great. Event. Interviewed yep. him. Yep. So <clears throat> Eric had David. Yeah, I just sent him an email the other day, um, and we just we we uh, align with you know Cannondale bikes. We used to have specialized bikes previously but Cannondale bikes were aligned very well with like Neil Gold and he's a big supporter of um, mountain biking in Ontario and mm -hmm. I think really I think the bike industry sometimes in Canada takes us for granted event promoters are people doing like yourself people who are building the sport and yeah. helping it out like how are you going to sell more products if you don't have the trails events the people mm -hmm. putting together the um the programs and stuff it's only going to help them in the long term um and so i think that that's something that you've got to find those people that align with your thinking and yeah. uh, be 
fair and reasonable and try to figure out how you can give them back, give them value. Yeah. I'm not for drive festival and stuff that we have much bigger sponsors, like uh, much bigger sponsorships and stuff like that. I have people that, that, that work with me that are yeah. way better at that than right. I am. Um, and same with mud hero. Like I think when we, we, uh, my founder, the, myself and my co-founder, when we sold sponsorships, it was like, like this. And then we, we partnered with another company and they, they, uh, I think they, they brought in 50 times more cash. <laughs> we just didn't put any effort into it. And we weren't, we weren't really working it. Um, so you've right. got to work it as well. Um, it's not going to come super easily or, and it's not going to come free. But I think that, you know, if you're, uh, if you're looking to produce an event, if you're just going to rely on sponsorships, it's going to be quite hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. And uh, it's true, like finding those people that would align with um, what you're doing. I used to, I had a wealthy guy that raced my series a long time ago, and he used to just provide me with money every year. That was the best. <laughs> it was like, how much do you need this year? I'm like, and I was um, always reasonable, but he would just write me checks. And uh, <laughs> that was great. And so sometimes you just need to to find, find people with lots of money. I don't know. So that. do you provide like a charitable receipt for that? Well, no, it's just that, it, but it's an invoice, a marketing expense. Oh, uh, my, okay. Right. A great sponsor of mine was, uh, I got a phone call one day from a guy who raced my mom bike fence. He said, I'm with this, um, I'm with Kijiji. And I was like, this is before I ever heard of Kijiji. I said, Kijiji, that's a strange name. What is that? He said, oh, we're like, we do like online sales and everything else. I'm like, okay. So I went down and I saw that they were affiliated Official. with eBay. And I went in this big office and all these people came out and they said, yeah, we love your mountain bike races. And I'm like, great. And they said, well, how can we sponsor it? And I'm like, so I wrote a bunch of stuff up on the board. Uh, I sent them a proposal and I had them on board for five or six years. And it was like a it was not a fortune of a sponsorship, but it was a good relationship. And they got a lot of value out of it by bringing customers to my mountain bike races. And they used it as corporate team building and they were promoting oh, and free promotion on, on their, on uh, Kijiji. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they were, and that everybody that funny enough, everybody at the time that um, worked for Kijiji, they were all mountain bikers. Oh. So it was like, it was great because they were they were like we want to be involved in mountain biking. What better way than supporting Adam's mountain bike events? So, oh, that is anymore. sweet. Yeah, they're not on board anymore, but they did last for six or seven years. I would say that's a good length of a partnership. Anyways, yeah, yeah, nothing lasts forever, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's a that's a good time frame. Five and five and over. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So back, I think we got diverted into that because I asked the sponsorship question, but you got some great events happening this summer. Uh, oh. I think the first one's what's June? Yeah. 24. 24 hours is June, uh, I don't know, 24th, 25th. 24th, I think. Yeah. And then my brother has his eight hour event about a month and a bit before that in, um, in May. May. But people always think that that's still my event the eight hour because I ran it for 20 years but um I gave it to Sean to run now <laughs> so together so but 
so together you guys have how many you run in the summer well he used to run the ocup series until oh. now we're actually this may segue to something we're not affiliated with the ontario cycling association anymore not surprising <laughs> no uh but I'm, it was something that happened last year i got a phone call from in april and covid was really challenging to keep running your businesses like yeah had, you know 2020 we had a write-off so and i had pre-sold the 24-hour event so that was a very difficult conversation with customers because i couldn't refund all the money um yeah so you just rolled it over to the next year like everybody else yeah or yeah. and then i i rolled it over the next year or gave them an option for the year after that so a lot of it got rolled into 2022 last year oh wow so it was like i was kept rolling money over um as well uh the uh i offered a 70 percent cash back and i think that was pretty much uh, that was pretty fair um mm -hmm. speaking with other organizers i think i was being super reasonable most people were really good with it i would say 90 yeah often 98 percent of people were good with it there were two percent that weren't happy with it but i wasn't going to make them happy anyways yeah um, <laughs> what do you you have no yeah, options really exactly i i was stuck between a rock and a hard place um just like a lot of other organizers um and so 2021 we just ran an event we ran our 24-hour event we pushed it off into august but we ran it for only a third the number of participants so it was more of a break even all right because uh it really doesn't it didn't it didn't make money for us but we just felt like we needed to get another event under our belt in 2021 mm -hmm. because not having events for two years in a row yeah just the momentum just yeah 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 mm -hmm. so but april of 2022 new person taken over ontario cycling won't mention name um and they contacted me and said yeah we've uh, looked at your insurance and we're gonna make it go up a little bit i said well what's a little bit <laughs> it ran the numbers it was four times <gasps> really yeah i couldn't have afforded it and i and i said but what what do you talk what, what this doesn't make any sense and they said well yeah, it's the Rolls Royce of insurance. And I said, well, I can't afford a Rolls Royce. I need a Kia. Like, <laughs> Can I have a Pinto? What's the Chevette? <laughs> a Kia, kids are nice, though. I have one, actually. They're, they're pretty good cars. <laughs> um, and they support my drive bus. They're really very nice cars. They're making good stuff. Um, but quality at a, an affordable price. And that's what I needed <laughs> for insurance. And uh, so after that, I, I, I went with the Canadian Adventure Racing Association. They were super supportive oh. and actually provided that to a number of other organizers. So most organizers are now in Ontario. A lot of the organizers are now with the Canadian Adventure Racing Association because the Ontario cycling um, made it so difficult for organizers to get involved, even for a friend of mine running a weekly series. They wanted to shut down his registration for the weekly series four what? days before the weekly not you couldn't just register the night of they didn't want that and they were charging him like and charging him a ridiculous fee which meant the weekly series was going to be way too expensive he couldn't 
you know, put it together at a, at a reasonable price for people. So I think what's happened is that, you know, certainly um, Ontario Cycling needs to look at how they build that base of mm-hmm. participation and how they can get clubs and organizers in support to build that base of weekly series of, of, of grassroots racing, of yeah. like large scale events too, and how mm-hmm. they can have them underneath them because we're not, um, we're not, we don't want to be affiliated with them anymore because a lot of people coming to my 24 hour event are only doing one or two mountain bike events a year. And they want to yeah. sell them full, like license insurance licenses. Yeah. Yeah. And everything else, which would make it impossible for me to put together the event anymore. So, and this is the same thing for a lot of these gravel organizers or weekly series organizers. How do you get people in with, um, and take away, you know, we came out of COVID, uh, Ontario cycling came out of COVID in a challenge that they were already having trouble before COVID, you know, building the sport of road racing, cyclocross, mountain mm-hmm. bike racing. And all they found out how to do was to put more barriers to en- of entry. I know it's crazy. Yeah. Getting into the sport. So I don't want to take this into a super negative way, but I, I don't see how Ontario cycling or even Canadian cycling are really in support of building up that pyramid of a big mm-hmm. base of riders. Uh, even looking at this year for mountain bike racers in Ontario, they've got four O cups. They've now taken to running the Ontario cup mountain bike races internally, and they're just running four O cups this year. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, what happens, but I know that there's been a massive exodus of event promoters that have been <laughs> with the Ontario cycling. I was with Ontario cycling for my entire life and always a supporter of it until last year, but tons wow. of have now left. And it's, um, it's like they, they, they've, uh, they think they can build the whole sport just on the, just by themselves. Well, yeah, this it's one reason why I never, uh, registered there. And I kept mine in Quebec underneath my address yeah. and, uh, because they just required us to pay the, their, uh, per person fee. And I was like, whatever. Uh, and Quebec doesn't, um, and, uh, at all but the thing about quebec is i was running um a road cycling time trial series right. for five years until covid um but the thing is that we have to pay for commissaires and that alone is ridiculous because you know they they assign so many people to an event i used to be a commissaire so i know how it works right and i'm like my event has so many people there's no need to have this many it's it's the expense that i just pushes everything over um it's you know it's funny that even ontario cycling they used to run with five staff now they're going to have a a much smaller percentage of members than they had like let's say five years ago and they've doubled their staff to 10. oh hmm. doesn't make sense to me but yeah well, I started, I stopped working with the FQSC for events and I, that's why I'm starting my own gravel woman's race. And I Great. did it last year, very small, like 25. I'm like, Hey, I don't need them. Cause I've been going to other events and I'm like, we don't, 
I, I was pride, I prided myself being affiliated with the Quebec organization to promote cycling and to get right. people over here and, and, you know, and continue on with events on their calendar until they made it like they never really helped me. Like, yep. it was, oh, yeah, we'll help you. And like, and I'm like, well, how are you going to help me? Like, you haven't helped me at all. You just wanted somebody to put on an event organizer, put on an event. So I put my hand up and say, okay, we're, my club wants to do one. Right. And then it was like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and I had to figure it out myself. And I'm like, well, I've been to enough time trials. I know how to, you know, you know, pretty much how to run them. And, and a couple other event organizers helped me. And, uh, and that's how that went. And, um, you know, like with, you know, uh, tech guides and budgets and things like that yeah. to think about. So I was like, super grateful to have that instead of like, you know, building it on my own. And then, um, but yeah, so now I'm like, I, I think they just forces have forced us all to uh, be creative and knowing that we don't have to, you know, right. In years ago, um, they, they would threaten that riders that were racing in the Ontario series couldn't go do um, events that weren't affiliated with them, but that's actually illegal. They, so they haven't been able to do that. It, it, the, the challenge is that uh, they're, they're, they, I, I, don't, I don't even know what the sport associations are doing for building the sport. It seems like there's a big disconnect yeah, they love to have those athletes that are that are racing at the top level and track and mountain bike and everything else. But those, all those, um, especially the the, the mountain biking, um, those people came through clubs. They came doing weekly series. They that's how you build the sport. And there's lots mm -hmm. of great people out there trying to build the sport, um, but unfortunately, they're no longer building the sport um, in conjunction with. Um, Ontario cycling or Canadian cycling, we're doing it yeah. separate to them. Um, like I have a kids event at my 24 hour event that everybody it's free for the kids. And we get 300 kids under the age <laughs> of 11 racing mountain bike. Cool. 300. And no, they're the kids of the are, kids of the, of the racers. And then, yeah, exactly. And, uh -huh. and some of them 20 years ago, some of them were kids or yeah. 25 years ago racing my kids race and now they're back with kids mm -hmm. the kids from the kids race or have brought kids to my kids race so because of 25 years it's just evolved that way but what a great opportunity for um for them to recruit or, or exactly. scout or a fine yeah uh, or and why not use all these resources instead of like um trying to use us just as um revenue sources and and putting up so many barricades to us being able to produce these events mm -hmm. yeah but totally agree and i wonder what our audience thinks do you guys agree <laughs> if you're in quebec or ontario what do you think we'd love to know um because obviously this conversation can get very deep very maybe even dark pretty quickly <laughs> yeah, let's not go there <laughs> let's not go there but you can always put your thoughts on our YouTube channel underneath this video, uh, which is on our uh, podcast YouTube channel. So if you have thoughts about your experience with the Ontario or the Quebec Federation, because we're talking about Canada here, um, or even as an event organizer, because I'm not entirely sure. I don't think with the United States is pretty free. 
as to what people are doing. Um, but here in Canada, it's a little bit more, uh, or, well, not organized, but uh, I don't even say it's structured. I'm not even sure what I'm going to call it, but what do you think, Adam? Well, I mean, <laughs> if you take a look at down in... Um, Disconnected. I mean, that's what it is. Actually, take a look at gravel. Gravel events aren't, not many of them are UCI affiliated. A few are now. I know, but, but they're trying to to take control that now. Yeah, and I, I, I'm worried for, you know, once the UCI comes in, becomes a, a much more political challenging thing. I know they're going to want a piece of the pot and I think it's already uh and even like um we talk often I've talked like of, of participants going to these mountain bike or gravel races that that where some event organizers really try and tailor it to the pro which is on which isn't the majority of the you know, the people participating, right? It's probably like 1%. You got pros at the front and you got like the rest of the 99% of the people behind them that are really the ones who are, um, you know, supporting the, exactly. the event, but you know, they cater to this 1% and it, I, a lot of people are noticing that. Actually with, um, one thing that separated me from, um, or one thing that I found was very, very important and I, I put this into the obstacle running as well was um, to make sure to take a look at the, the back 30% of the participants and see yeah. how fun they're having. Um, and they're the ones that are most important because the people at the top are going to be able to have fun and find challenge if they're just going to ride it faster. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But you've got to question, like you've got to start speaking to the people in the middle and the back and see if they're having fun if they're not having fun then you haven't created a proper course for them as well yeah and you also like with our events the 24-hour event we you know having the free tech support from everybody we want everybody to feel like they're a world cup racer when they come to the event everybody mm -hmm. gets an opportunity for draw prizes we still have prizes for um the top teams and everything else but mm -hmm. we give out to draw prizes and those are those are the main big prizes like we give away a bike every year and we give away um about ten thousand dollars worth of gear um they're they're for everyone so is that what you're talking about when you talk about tech support uh, like tech, tech supports the no shimano does the free tech support so oh, okay, okay on the bikes right um yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a matter of like creating that atmosphere where everybody gets to feel included mm -hmm. and feel the same. Like for us, we also like, uh, have a Chico's mud bog, which becomes a super spectator event. So we build this mud bog. <laughs> Actually a guy crashed in it this year and it went viral and got like 6 million views and it oh. went up on like jerry of the day and all all these great like sites he he face planted right into it <laughs> right in the mud but um <laughs> we uh, we give uh, people the opportunity to uh try to do this mud bog and then everybody that attempts it gets a t-shirt like i've i've done chico's mud bog and we only open it up for an hour and a half on <laughs> so as many people can like go like bike through it yep uh but <laughs> We have crowds there, and there's a there's a ride yeah, yeah, yeah. for it as well. But if people ride around it, they get booed, and, so, and we provide kids with squirt guns and stuff. So sometimes they get squirted <laughs> and around it. It's kind of fun, um, 
and we we try not to make it too serious like we don't obviously want the people to feel bad for not going through the mud pit i understand why people wouldn't ride through the mud pit but it gives those um everyday riders the opportunity for glory <laughs> if you go into the mud bog and you crash or you make it through you get glory the tr crowd goes wild and there's hundreds of people that come out every year to see this um and it, it provides <laughs> that like, sounds like a lot of fun it's super super fun and it provides a lot of energy to the event we also have like a breezy chug fest contest that uh, <laughs> people, people come up on stage for and um, bands and uh, the, the kids event and all kinds of like fun festivities that go around I, I also call our 24-hour event more of a mountain bike festival than it is uh -huh. a race. yeah that's it's true. timed but for a lot of the people coming out to it um, it's not a race and that's why I don't even really use race except Chico racing but I don't okay. use race in the terminology of right. that event because for maybe 10 percent or 15 is the race the race and yeah. for people within their teams like mm -hmm. they like to compete with their friends and say well i got a little bit of a faster lap time or whatever um mm -hmm. but a lot of it is having some beers at the campsite and enjoying it our biggest teams are like 10 person teams they're people yeah that, those uh, are the fun ones right yeah one lap <laughs> one or two <laughs> one or two and a few beers and a few beers yeah yeah who wants to do the night lap not me yeah not me sometimes they they even we even now have a no night uh four person no night teams so we oh. start, shut them down and then they, they get up in the morning that's a great idea it's a great and this year someone said to me i said how are you and he goes oh i'm so hungover <laughs> you just have till 12. Four hours, five hours, six hours. What you start uh, yeah, at six? It, it actually they get they get off at around nine thirty p.m. and then they start at six a.m. So they get yeah nice, till like, twelve. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea for those who are don't really aren't as confident at night and would like to. Uh, actually, it's just for it's it's for a lot of the guys that have done the event for years, but they're like they're just no nighters and they're and uh, I have a few <laughs> friends that are like yeah. I'm like the, I'm the no nighter, which means you just yeah, hang up the bike and go get fun. some beers and uh, that's yeah. it. <laughs> wow. Now I'm glad you actually shared that part. So I hope everybody took that into consideration because that's another way you can participate, not have to worry about the night riding and the night lights and all that extra mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but Adam, this has been amazing. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I want to thank you for, uh, providing the time to chat. Um, and, uh, yeah. So where can everybody find you? I know we have, uh, you are chicoracing.com, C-H-I-C-O racing.com, or just look up mountain, uh, mountain bike events, Ontario, or 24-hour mountain bike event, 24 hours of summer solstice. It's in chicoracing.com. And when you see Adam, call him Chico. <laughs> exactly. So thanks so much. And uh, for everyone, thanks a lot. Don't forget to uh, like, comment, and subscribe to the channel, both on your favorite podcast platform and if you're watching this on YouTube. Thanks a lot, everybody. Take, take care. Thanks, Sylvie.
Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.